Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's Tuesday. That means all 22 as we go to the tape and see what we can learn from the latest Dolphins showing a seventh straight loss. We'll break it down on offense and defense, plus stats from Pro Football Focus, Next Gen, and other advanced metrics. We'll scan the social, detail the snap counts, and a whole bunch more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Very first thing I wanted to look at today on the All 22, as we do here every single Tuesday on Drive Time, presented by Auto Nation. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and do so. Leave us that rating and that review. The first thing I wanted to look at as the phone falls out of my pocket is the vertical game. Could we get vertical in this game passing because of the Buffalo blitz scheme playing in close to the box and basically baiting you into making mistakes down the field when you do get vertical because you haven't established it throughout the course of the game? Wanted to take a look at that, and the answer was, for the most part, no. And there were some opportunities. It just continues to not happen for a couple of reasons, like this, for instance. Very first play of the game, Waddle runs a seam slashed post where he cuts inside and gets the safety to flip his hips inside and then goes back to the corner. And Parker comes across the formation, the first passing play of the game, I should say. Parker comes across the formation on an over route from the other side of the field. And because Robert Hunt is beat immediately inside by, uh, by Ed Oliver, forgot his first name there for a second, he recovers. But then Liam Eikenberg is over setting on the left side of the offensive line and inside comes Jerry Hughes and then Oliver runs into Hughes and Hunt falls off the block and then he hits Tua as he's going down after being tripped by Hughes as well. So with the progression of this play with three routes really layered in that direction, a high, a low, a mid, you know, I kind of wonder if Tua could have checked to Mike Gesicki on the opposite side of the formation to hold the linebackers, hold the safeties, create some false steps to the boundary and then sprint over a kind of a quarterback roll, a half roll to the where the layers are to give himself a better chance to get to those throws, to get away from pressure, and just get a clear line of sight into those targets. So I thought, you know, Tua rolled a lot, lot, a lot more last year from those 12 personnel packages under center, faking, fake the handoff, boot to the other side of the formation, and got out on space. And those were some of his best throws. And I think we haven't seen a whole bunch of that this year. That might be one way to create some more opportunities for downfield vertical shots. Now, one of the deep balls did work in this game. We'll kind of come back to this theme on the podcast throughout here on the Tuesday edition of Drive Time, but one of them did work from the jump, but it was a 50-50 ball. This is not what we're talking about here with regards to stretching the field vertically, but it was a great job by Devontae Parker to hold his line on that route into the boundary and keep that trail corner underneath him and a ton of trust from Tua Tungavailoa to throw that football because they drop seven and Parker's into the boundary, the short side of the field, getting pressed by an up corner in basically a two look. And the, the, the half field safety over the top has that help. It's a very small window, kind of like the Durham Smythe throw last week. Great throw, great catch, move the sticks, 23 yards, I think it was, and a first down. Now, Tua's game, we always start here with the quarterback on the Tuesday podcast. And another theme on this Tuesday episode will be arm strength and pushing the ball vertically for the quarterback position. And I thought there was plenty of examples in this game where 
Tua shows you the throws he can make in spite of what is, I guess, out there as not the strongest arm in the world. I don't think it's, you know, we're going to come back to that, actually. But on this particular play, he gets pressure in his face immediately on a third down throw to Jalen Waddell, where it's offsides on the defense. We complete the pass and convert the first down anyways. It's a 15-yard throw down the field from the far hash to the numbers on the other side of the field, fading away with a hand in his face, and he gets it there. There's no defensive back to jump it or to break it up. Waddell makes the reception, and it's a first down. Then later in the, I think that same drive, that throw that was between four Bills defenders that kind of made you say, wow, that's, that's a really tight window. He fit there. He did really well on that play, I thought, to move Milano with a quick, pick, a quick peek to the flat, quick pick to the flat to move Milano that direction, then fits it right in behind him. And Tremaine Edmonds is too late to get over the top. So just a really good throw, the keyhole accuracy on that particular throw. Then there was a third and one failure before the Jason Sanders field goal. And the problem I have with this one here is it's three by one into the boundary with the three receivers into the boundary trips over that direction. And it's nasty splits. What's a nasty split. It's when you align in close to the formation, like the tight ends got his hand in the ground and then there's a gap in between you and the tight end. And then you're lined up right there, nasty into the formation. And then you also have Adam Shaheen attached to the formation. So you have Gasecki, Parker and Shaheen basically all right there in that three by one set. And that gives Buffalo a nine-man box count. There's a post safety up high, about 15, 20 yards off the ball, and a cornerback to the field who's one-on-one with Jalen Waddell. It's a two-way go right there, possibly three-way go if the safety rolls the other direction, and you now have vertical outside, inside for Waddle one-on-one against Davius White. And you've only got eight hats in the box because quarterback, running back, Waddle. It's three of your 11. You've got eight guys left for nine hats, and they run the ball right into the teeth of that defense. So Buffalo has a hat on a hat plus one. It's going to be tough to get yards doing that, and of course it was. They wind up with a loss on top of Liam Eichenberg trying to reach at Oliver, and he can't get to it. Oliver beat those blocks all game long, and it just it blew up so many plays in the backfield. He's a heck of a player, but the hat-on-a-hat count is what gets me. Like You can't run that ball into an extra hat in that area. So that was a couple of drives into the game, but on the first drive of the game, there's a possible option on a second-and-five play in the red zone to Mike Gesicki on the back pylon on a corner route, and Tua throws the football away. And I looked at the play a few times, and the safety flattens down on Mike and was not in good shape to get over the top. Kind of like the same arcing ball we saw on the two-point conversion, and not the same type of look, but the same throw mechanics as far as lofting it that we saw on the big play to Mike Gesicki for whatever, 30-something yards, whatever it was. Uh, He had an option to do that on this play, but there's an unblocked man off the top who puts pressure into his face right away through that B-gap. They brought six. We faked to the back, so there's no sixth man to pick up that protection. And this is kind of what I'm building at towards a theme here, that it's one little thing here and there that prevents you from getting the ball down the field. Protection, lack of routes in that area of the field, or just not enough time to get to a Jalen Waddle who got down the field so often in this game. And I thought that was indicative of of just everything, offensive line, the calls, the receiver separation, the quarterback. There's just things that pop up here and there throughout the course of the game that prevents Miami from getting that vertical game going. And so that second and five opportunity, I thought Tua had a chance to layer one out there and give his guy a chance. And the ensuing third and five, you know, he locked on Waddle on this crossing route on that third down, throws it short, he makes the catch and gets tackled. But if you look at the mesh concept Waddle comes from one side of the formation and Shaheen comes from the opposite side. That's where you get your mesh to kind of create that natural rub on that backer. And it's man coverage, but Shaheen's guy doesn't come with him. So that should be an indicator to me that he's going to be open once he crosses that middle linebacker playing that kind of umbrella coverage there in the middle of the field. 
So that was a miss, I thought. And Tua talked a little bit after this game about taking what the defense gives you. And there are times where that's that def, definitely is the, the process you should go with. But a lot of those hitch routes and completions that we saw on those hitch routes, I thought were a good example of that. Really good series starters. But when you have mistakes like the false starts, the negative runs, the sacks, it's just not going to work doing that. And that's what happened in this game and really throughout the course of the season. When you can stay on schedule, when you can play clean football, this team looks sharp in that way. But that's why defenses are so willing to give that up in today's NFL because if you try to make your living that way with these 11, 12 play drives, mistakes are bound to happen, penalties, and they just kill you and put you behind the chains. We've seen it for eight straight weeks now. thought there was really nice work on the completion to Patrick Laird from Tua Tungavailoa. The one that was called back gets immediate pressure to the left side of the formation, but gets it out and finds Laird on the move. The footwork you see in that play in position for a quick escape to get himself in position to make that throw. Moving on to the failed snap, you know, Tua said it best, and I'm not going to go on more on this podcast because we covered it plenty on this on the uh, Monday podcast. Tua said it best: bad operation, bad football. Can't complain with that. You got guys standing up all over the place and trying to get lined up, and in the motion and the snap. And Robert Hunt asks the center with a little tap on the on the hip there to snap the football. Just bad all around. And that's when things really got bad for the offense. I mean, I know three points at that point in the game, pretty much of the first half of the game is not good but there was plenty of good to look at. But after that, that's where things got really bogged down for the next three series, three and out in all of them. And again, just a cavalcade of things popping up. Pass protection, a procedural penalty, quick hitters with tacklers in close pursuit. You know, the ball floats out to Miles Gaskin in space. By the time he gets his head around, there's a tackler. Negative or short runs, lack of separation, just doing absolutely nothing for three series there. And that's where Miami had a chance to get ahead, take a double-digit lead, you know, put themselves some position between them and the Bills because the defense is playing so well and they just couldn't do it. Now, they did find a scoring drive. I think it was early fourth quarter. A fourth and sixth pass to Mike Gesicki was absolutely beautiful. You get pressure off either tackle, off either edge, and there's a tiny gap for Tua to slide in between, but he has to get skinny, so he keeps both of his hands on the football and kind of lifts them up over his head to make himself as thin as he possibly can, and he gets skinny and squeezes through, then throws a perfect ball to allow Mike to make a play. Really good loft, good good arc on that, and good trajectory. And Mike was really nuanced on this play because you could kind of see him on the broken play flatten the route to force that defender underneath him to kind of take a path that's more flat to the line of scrimmage, and then he gets vertical on top of that to create that space. And that's why it looked like a push-off, because that step flattening from Mike forced the DB to take that step as well. Then he gets vertical, and the DB has to react because he's just following Mike. So super nice, nuanced veteran move there from Mike Asiki, and a great throw from Tua Tungavailoa. So that was a success on that scoring drive. And then it went right back to some of the sand. The sequence of the Devontae Parker drop and then immediate pressure forces a throwaway on the next play and then more pressure forces a fumble on Tua. Then we try to throw a ball that needs the safety to be moved on third and 25. You know, he's just going to plant his feet on the sticks and then drive forward. And he does it and steps right in front of a dig route for an easy pick. So that was, you could have seen that coming from a mile away with the way this game was going and trying to get vertical on third and 25. I just, (laughs) you're not going to have success with that if you haven't done it at all throughout the course of the game. And then the last thing here on two, and I don't think it's a trend yet, but I wanted to go ahead and make a mention of it. I want to keep an eye on him getting himself into these unbalanced situations that he doesn't have to necessarily because there's a third and 10 play where he wisely sees Waddle working off inside leverage of Tredavious White with the safety all the way out of the picture. So he has this kind of seam slash dig route with some space to throw to. 
But because he puts himself in a position to slide away from where the assumed pressure was going to be, and it did look like it was going to be pressure, but he winds up getting an anchor to kind of hold that spot. He slides to a spot where he is now throwing on the move, throwing in motion. And I think he could have really stood in there and drove that ball and put a better ball on there because it hung up there and was a bit behind allowing Tredavious White to recover after Waddle gained that inside leverage. So not to his best game, not his worst game for sure. Uh, Something to build off of, but I think the key here is they're going to have to find a way to get the vertical offense going because against a defense like this, if you don't have it, if you don't have those chunk plays, you just don't stand a chance, and that's how you wind up with 11 points and less than 300 total yards. Some other plays offensively, I did think in total the run game had really good surge early on. First, there was a play where Ryder and Jackson have an awesome combo on a seven-yard Miles Gaskin run to clear a lane, and then the next play or a couple plays later, Liam Eikenberg gets big-time knockback. Jackson seals and drives his lane, and Ryder and Hunt both get good surge on the play as well. And to that point, Robert Hunt had a lot of single-block assignments in this game, and I thought he had great drive and push and second-level climbs and reach, and just did a lot of good stuff in this game. Also. Had a really good number count going back to that previous conversation on a five-yard run on first down from the plus 22-yard line where they just ran that ball down the teeth, you know, down the heart of the Buffalo defense. And in that particular play, Durham Smythe had a nice block in short motion. Some of their most successful blocking or running plays came in the tight end, came down the line in short motion from where you're detached, you go in attached, and you kind of get that advantage of leverage because you're on the move to cut the defender off. And we saw some of that in this game. Now, in the passing game, outside of the RPO and quick game stuff, there's just not enough time to survey multiple routes within the progression of the play most of the time. And that's, and there are some things there sometimes, like some of the crossing stuff where you have a front side out route and then a backside crosser, which obviously you, you go to the out route first and you come back across the field for that crosser who's going to be closely behind where the vacancy of that first route was. And the secondary option on that crosser is sometimes open, actually often open. We saw it last week, too, on the Durham Smythe interception in the end zone. Like Jalen Waddle came on that crossing route clean over the middle of the field. But the ball is out to the primary because usually there's a hand in the face of the quarterback. So it's tough to get through those progressions when you don't have time and when you don't have trust that you're going to have time. That certainly makes it difficult. The misfire to Parker on that first drive. Do you guys recall that? A, a slant route that was like way over his head. To me, that looked like Parker ran a slant too. was expecting that hitch route we talked about. That's where the landmark was in, in which the ball went to. So I think just on the wrong page there. But again, eight weeks in, still having multiple of these miscommunications every single game. Some more individuals, Waddle, he had an awesome little shake on a route against Tredavious White on third and short to convert in the first quarter. Tons of separation from a condensed split in a tight area. So you have to win in the phone booth and he sure as heck did it. Additionally, just watching the tape and stuff you probably didn't see in the broadcast version, we hit a slant to Parker with 142 to go in the first quarter, and it was a good gain, a good completion to get that drive going. But Waddle runs a go route on Tredavious White, and the football's already out, but he stacks him and gets on top of him. And we know about Waddle's speed from there, but on the RPO game, it's tough to get vertical from there, so you can't really go into that route. Then there's a third and six play right before the big Mike Kosicki play where Waddle runs, again, a takeoff from the slot, and he gets on top of the with on top of the cornerback rather without a safety who's over to the boundary or to the field side of the formation. This is to the boundary, but the ball is out because pressure is there. Just no chance to get to it to take advantage of his very best trait and the biggest deep threat we have on this team. They're just not there's not enough opportunities for him even when he is open or stacking guys vertically. Other things have to happen to create that chance, and they're just not happening right now. 
other individuals. I think Robert Hunt is really coming on. He's super explosive out of his stance. He's firing out of that thing. I mentioned how many one-on-one chances there are for him, and he's really holding that thing down. Some second-level reach blocks. Uh, there was one late in the first quarter where he turns Matt Milano completely around, and that's a really good football player. Uh, Liam Eikenberg, the first sack, he just didn't get off the snap and never had a chance to recover, so that's a tough look there. Uh, Miles Gaskin thought his best play was the third and six pass conversion. He catches it right near the sticks with Tremaine Edmonds and Tech and Trail Tech there, and a good job finding that matchup for the Dolphins on the running back and the linebacker. Then he makes a miss and picks up another 20 yards on top of that. That was a good-looking play. Then the back shoulder chance on third and two, middle of the third quarter. Tie game at this point, a chance to get the offense to stay on the field, and it looks like he slows up because Milano kind of caps the wheel route, and Tua makes the adjustment to throw the back shoulder throw, but it looked to me like Miles was not expecting it. Just these little things, these little adjustments, the ball's a little bit wide because he kind of falls into the defender rather than sticking his foot in the ground and kind of going back to get the football. It's a difference between staying on the field there with a fresh set of downs and a tie game late in the third quarter and then opposed to giving it back to Josh Allen. It's tough to win doing that. Uh, other running back, Savon Ackman, I thought he has a nice, has a run where he makes a man miss in the backfield and then turns out a five-yard run. Just I wrote down just slippery and juice, two things that I really see with him. Then he comes right back after that with a nice rush where he does some more of that maneuvering behind the line of scrimmage and winds up picking four, and a good job by Liam Eichenberg to kind of help carry him close to the sticks there as well. But he creates so much with what he has to work with. And I think he does that the best on the roster of any back. He has another nice outside run where he has a jump cut on second and 10 on the on the drive where they're backed up against their own end zone. And it's the same look I talked about earlier. The Dolphins doing short motion with tight ends coming back into the formation and get some of those cutoff blocks. And from there, Savon can use his speed to get that down blocking, get outside of it, to wind it back outside. 12 yards, our very best run of the day. But continue to be impressed with Savon Ahmed's juice. Uh, defensively, Kind of going in chronological order here. Javon Holland, right off the top, feels for a stick on the ball carrier immediately. He comes from a zero pressure look where he's only seven yards off the ball, and typically he's 15, 20 yards away from the football, and it allows him to get there for a gain of just four yards. I mean, you'll take that when the safety is the one coming down for the tackle, four-yard gains all day. Also, on this play, very nice job of Duke Riley to get around the outside pulling block and get on the outside shoulder to force the bend back by the running back. And there's uh, there's Javon Holland waiting for the tackle right there. Very next play, once again, Josh Allen, he misses this throw. He has Stephon Diggs all by himself to, for a huge gain. And he could have run for the first down as well, but he misfires on the throw. But that's not an unforced error. That's kind of what I want to talk about here. Miami's in zero a zero pressure look again. And they bring six, and that's with Brandon Jones and Javon Holland mugging up in the A-gaps. Kind of a cool replacement for where Jerome Baker would typically be. But Holland comes clean, forces it, forces the issue. You love to see that. You'd rather get beat going down swing and just kind of hanging back and letting them pick you apart there and, and hit the strike zone and strike you out that way. So I love seeing that. And then just to follow up on Brandon Jones, he's an impactful blitzer. Go watch this, this game. He's in the backfield a lot on, as a pass rusher against the running game. And... He also came from depth on a first and 20 run, middle of the third quarter. This is the drive where things changed, I thought. But it didn't start that way because Brandon Jones on first and 20 makes a stop right at the line of scrimmage coming from that depth to set up a second and 20 on that play. Great work from him. I also noted a uh, series early in the game where Christian Wilkins continues to impress me. He takes on a chip from the right guard. The left guard pulls and tries to smack him. He just wipes him to the side, and he comes off both of those blocks and makes the stop in the backfield. He's such a fun player to watch. Jalen Phillips, on a play a couple plays later, 
They run a toss sweep out wide to Devin Singletary, and he goes unblocked, but he chases this thing all the way on the sweep to the opposite side of the formation down the field to, to make the stop for just a couple of gain, yards in the gain. Really impressed with his effort on that play. Hopefully we can get more pass rush coming from Jalen Phillips here in the near future. Josh Allen got loose on that 35-yard run, and it was man coverage. The rush just kind of ran right around him, didn't have their gap integrity like we talked about on the podcast last week. But I liked the structure that spoke to their success early in the game. They really took away Stephon Diggs for the most part with brackets and kind of created different ways to run him into coverage, run him from one zone to another zone. And two drives into the game, we've seen cover three, man zero, man free, split safeties, safeties mugged up in the A-gaps. Really a hell of a job calling the game in the first half there. There's a third and seven middle of the second quarter, man free with a pressure look, and they bring seven, which leaves you four guys in coverage, right? And Beasley winds up uncovering, but pressure is there too quick for Allen to try to get the ball to Beasley on a deep over route. So he takes a desperation heave to Stephon Diggs, but Xavier Howard's right there all over it. And Brandon Jones absolutely runs over the tight end. Tommy Sweeney takes him right into Allen and knocks Allen over in the process. Then they get an incompletion on the exact same thing next series where Eric Rowe locks up Sweeney on a, a downfield throw in phase, seven-man pressure forces quick throws and incompletions. We saw it all last year. We saw it a lot through 40 minutes in this game. Some more individual Zach Sealer. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody make more mileage out of 14 snaps than what he did. They couldn't move him in this game. He gets a third and six stop, on a, a series on a third and six where he takes the right guard backwards and several gaps down the line and just chucks him into the ball carrier. And then you also had Xavier Howard, a Landon Roberts, Christian Wilkins and Andrew Van Ginkle all involved in that, but he had a bunch of run plays on just a few rundown snaps in this game. We'll cover that in the stats portion. I thought Duke Riley was really good in this game. The Bills tried to run Allen on a keeper, curious call, on third and 10, and Duke just beats a block and corners around the outside to get a hit on Josh Allen to where he and his friends get him down for a tackle at the line. Punting time, great job by Duke Riley. Brandon Scarlett, not a lot of snaps in this game, but he had a great play where he sets a strong edge and made a run stop in the start of that third quarter. He had some good work, I thought, in very limited action. Byron Jones is a guy we got to talk about more because he's playing really well this year. He had a terrific game in this one on Sunday. His tape, I just think continuously, whether it's inside hand jam up in press coverage, falling off into zone, getting vertical, playing the run, fighting through blocks and hitting making tackles in the screen game. He had one of those early on in this game, then the pass breakup to save that touchdown where he has the deep third, but he honored the underneath because he has a lot of space he's kind of responsible for there. Did a great job staying with it because Josh Allen had time to throw on that play and Byron Jones stays right in step to get the PBU on a deep ball. One thing that really cost Miami in this game was Adam, not Adam Beasley. Adam Beasley's my friend. Uh, Cole Beasley, that guy. He deleted Twitter this week, so good for him. Um, his first catch was against a zone look, but then he came after Nick Needham a few times, and Needham had a great pass breakup working underneath an over route to get the Dolphins off the field in that third quarter. But then that matchup kind of turned in the other direction, as we'll detail here in the stats. But for the whole game, Beasley won that one. And, you know, Needham had a great tackle on Tommy Sweeney after the PBU on a third down play late in the second quarter. So he's kind of playing a great game at this point, but then it kind of just went the other direction. Beasley converts a third and 14, and that's when things changed. The four-man pressure didn't get to him. Allen had all day. The robber cuts off Beasley and Needham because Beasley puts his foot in the ground and whips it back to the outside. That loses Nick Needham, who has the bracket over the top, so want to see him get back to the other side of the field to force that incompletion there, but it's a big gain and a huge conversion on third and 14. But the backbreaker, I thought, ultimately, that was one of them, but this is another backbreaker, was a third and 11 with seven minutes to go. 
right after our touchdown and two-point conversion made it 17-11, to Cole Beasley gets Justin Coleman a one-on-one matchup, and the Dolphins show that seven-man pressure and, zero, and a zero-safety look. Five come, Butler and Phillips back out, and they just can't quite get enough depth because Beasley takes that inside access, and Coleman can never recover from that first step. Those, to me, were the two biggest plays of the game, third and 11, third and 14 conversions to Cole Beasley, and they were... They were there for the taking. Miami just couldn't make the play. Would have been a different game if they had made those plays, I think. After that, that uh, the Nick Needham miss on third and 14, a couple of plays really got my, or grinding my gear, so to speak. The Landon Roberts missed tackle in open space. You can't miss that tackle. And then after that, big lanes began to open up. Would have been fourth and six there from about midfield if you get that stop. Then you get the Van Ginkle defensive pass interference. I mean, those three plays, the third and 14, the Roberts missed tackle, the DPI by Van Ginkle, you're not going to overcome that. Not against this Buffalo offense, that's, that's for sure. Uh, I talked about Xavier Howard a little bit. I thought he was good in this game. He beat a screen uh, block and made a tackle on a screen pass. He gave up the touchdown to Stephon Diggs on that, that third down play, but you know he didn't really have much of an option there, kind of inside access, playing off coverage and that zero pressure look, and he just tried to get over the top of it, couldn't get there in time touchdown Bills. Emmanuel Ogba reject another pass as far as a pass breakup or a swatted ball at the line of scrimmage. He damn near picked off a screen pass late in the second quarter and he had a nice play on an outside Josh Allen run, the one where he kind of flipped it on the option flip, which he should not have done. But man, that could have been a couple of game-changing plays there. Just more, not bad luck, but luck going against the Dolphins. And also credit Josh Allen, talking about this game, for finding his rhythm late in this game. Because even when Miami did get that pressure after the quote-unquote turn in that third quarter, he made some plays where he's falling away from pressure, throwing to spots, extending plays, extending drives, you know, tacklers bouncing off of him. That's what he do, and he did it. Held him in check for 40 minutes, but not long enough. It's got to be 60 minutes. So my favorite tapes in this game were Mike Gesicki's, Robert Hunt's, Savon Ahmed's, Devontae Parker, Brandon Jones, Javon Holland. Love both those guys in their game lately. Byron Jones and Zach Sealer are my favorite tapes in this game. So for the statistics in this game, let's go ahead and get through this. Pro Football Focus had Tua as two for three on passes traveling 20 plus yards for 63 yards. It's a great number there, the Gesicki play and the Parker play. But intermediate, that's where this game was was lost to me offensively. Two of seven for 25 yards in the pick. That's not going to get it done. He was pressured on 16 of the 28 non-RPO slash quick game dropbacks. That also was not going to get it done. I saw someone tweeting about deep balls from college that Tua was throwing and asking, why can't he get this? Well, that's that's your answer right there. You can't throw deep if you don't have time to get it set up and throw it deep. And he's got the third quickest time to throw in the National Football League. Under pressure also wasn't good. Six for 15, 80 passing yards. That's 5.3 YPA. And the INT when blitzed, six for 15, 32 yards. And that's indicative of what we talked about in the Monday show, that it's hard to win when you're confined in a small box. And it's not just a quarterback thing. It's an entire offense thing. The A dot for the game, average depth of target was 7.1. Time to throw on the season. Rather, this is for the whole season, I should say. A dot, 7.1. Time to throw, 2.53. Again, that's the third quickest in the National Football League. Uh, As far as running backs go, yards after contact, the average. Savon Ahmed, 2.86 yards after two forced missed tackles. Nobody else had a forced missed tackle in the running game. Gaskin averaged 1.83 yards after initial contact. Those numbers got to improve. 
we had one 10-plus yard run and four first downs on the ground. Two was 3.3 yards per rush. Average was a team high, and we averaged better than four yards per rush and only one gap, and that was off the left end, the same spot where Savon had that 12-yard rush. Receiving numbers, Parker caught 8 of 12 for 85 yards. That's 7.08 yards per target, a little bit below where you want to be. 2.02 yards per outrun, also just a smidge below where you want to be. But Waddle, 4 of 12, 29 yards, 2.42 yards per target, and 0.73 yards per route run. Not a great game for Waddle. Gasicki, 3 of 4 targets, 48 yards, 12 yards per target, 1.14 yards per route run. So just didn't get enough targets in a game where he played almost every snap. And then as far as pressures go, on 48 pass-blocking snaps, Liam Eichenberg allowed 6 pressures from pro football focus, 2 sacks and 1 hit. Austin Jackson, no pressures. Austin Ryder, two pressures. Robert Hunt, one. Jesse Davis, eight pressures, three quarterback hits. So 14 pressures off the outside for Tua. Had some room to step up. We saw that play on the Mike Kosicki play, but in total, 16 pressures off the, or rather, 14 pressures off the outside. There you go. That's why you can't throw your deep balls. Uh, defensively, Pro Football Focus had Miami with 12 missed tackles. Just continue to pile up missed tackles this year. More things that were uncharacteristic of this team over the last couple of seasons. Pressures, Duke Riley led the way with four. Uh, Brandon Jones and Landon Roberts had three apiece. Jalen Phillips and Andrew Van Ginkle had two apiece. And Holland and Ogba both had one. Run stops. Christian Wilkins leads the way with four of them. He had three for Duke Riley. And Byron Jones had three. And Zach Sealer had three on eight rundown snaps. Almost half of his rundown snaps. He makes a tackle within two yards of the line of scrimmage. Adam Butler and Brandon Scarlett both had two apiece. Just six rundown snaps for Brandon Scarlett. So again, efficient work from he and Zach Sealer. And then seven players had one run stop in this game. As far as coverage goes, against Xavier Howard, six of nine targets completed for just 38 yards. That's a great number, nine on targets, 38 yards. But two touchdowns were charged to him. For Nick Needham, seven of eight targets for 94 yards. Beasley had four of five targets for 66 yards on Needham. All of those were first downs. And then two for two for 24 yards on Justin Coleman. One of those was a first down. So that one-on-one matchup inside between Needham and Beasley and Coleman and Beasley was a tough one for Miami in this game. Byron Jones talked about him. Four catches on seven targets for just 26 yards, less than four yards per target for Byron Jones. Continues to get the job done. Next-gen stats, Tua has a 0.5% over completion percentage expected. For perspective, Matt Stafford's one spot ahead of him at .07. Ryan Tannehill's one spot below him at .4. I should say Stafford's .7, Tannehill .4. And Brady's next after that at .3. He's 15th among qualifying quarterbacks is Tua Tungabailoa. 2.55 seconds, uh, time to throw his third quickest. And his 19.7% aggressive percentage is the fourth highest in the National Football League. The other numbers haven't fluctuated much for Miami as far as the running backs and receivers. Let's go ahead and punt on that. Your snap counts in this game. The offensive line and the quarterback played all 69 nice snaps in this game for the offense. The receivers, Jalen Waddle leads the way playing 65 of the snaps. That's 95%. Devontae Parker, 63. And then get this, Isaiah Ford, 8. Mac Collins, 4. Albert Wilson, 2. So this is basically a two-receiver team with Waddle and Parker out there. And you really cut into Holland's workload. And they go 12 personnel is going to be the, the move. 67 snaps for Mike Gesicki, 97%. So after playing, you know, 70% or so of the snaps early in the season, Mike Gesicki gets a big increase the last couple of weeks. Adam Shaheen kind of took Durham Smythe's spot as far as the second tight end. 41 snaps, and Durham Smythe plays 29 snaps. So between Shaheen and Smythe in this game, 70 snaps among those two. 
offensively. Running backs, Miles Gaskin played 40 snaps. That was 58%. Savant Ahmed just 16, and Patrick Laird 10 snaps getting called up from the practice squad. Defensively, Christian Wilkins, 48 snaps. That was 68%. Adam Butler, 41. Raquan Davis, 35. And Zach Sealer cut down to 14. These, these snaps are fluctuating every single week. Speaks of the week-to-week mentality in some cases. Off the edge, Jalen Phillips, 61 snaps. Was 84% after playing. I think it was just 15 snaps last week. Emmanuel Ogba, 60 snaps. Andrew Van Ginkle, 35. And Brandon Scarlett, the seven snaps in this game. Duke Riley played 67 snaps in place of Jerome Baker. That was 92% of the workload. Alandon Roberts, 49. And Sam McGuavin, I was curious to see this, four snaps in the game in a game where they basically dialed up tons of pressure looks and different A-gap blitzes and that type of thing. So McGuavin gets just four snaps in the game. Byron Jones and Xavier Howard both played every single snap, all 73. Nick Needham played 49. Justin Coleman played 20. Javon Holland at safety played all 73. Brandon Jones played 70. And Eric Rowe has a dip again to 22 snaps. So those are your snap counts, your stats, your film. Why don't we scan the social? And I had a hard time finding this uh, a topic to go in on today. Not easy to find things to refute on social, but one thing I keep seeing is this I don't know, narrative, I guess, is the word I want to use, maybe discourse. But anyway, it's about Tua's arm strength. And a lot of the quarterbacks that have had great careers in this league have had lesser arms than what Tua offers. Now, does it limit some of the throws you can make? Of course it does. That's that's how limitations work. But is it some kind of death kneel? Absolutely not. He went fifth in the draft. You think that was a worry when he went to the draft that high? If we can throw out out routes to the boundary against cover two with an underneath corner playing cloud where he's off the ball, and to get that ball around him, there was a pass to Jalen Waddle last week that exactly what I'm explaining here happened, then what the hell are we even talking about? If you can hit those throws, it's obviously not going to be an issue. I'm just annoyed that it always comes back to this when he doesn't play well. Like, there are so many other things that you can talk about, but for some reason, it comes back to this arm strength thing. To me, the lack of vertical game has four things that are contributing to it. Pass protection just has not been good enough. I mean, 16 pressures on 28 traditional dropbacks. It's not good enough. Then the field stretchers which is mostly because of injuries. I mean, it's the same group we had last year discussing this all offseason. You add Waddle, but a 12-personnel team typically won't be vertical by design, and Waddle is the one to run the coverage off. You need a second speed merchant out there to take advantage of that space. The options just aren't there right now. Then there's the design of the play. Like This is probably because of the previous two things we just talked about, but show me where the long ball opportunities that Tua's passing up. I'll wait because you can't find them. Then fourth is Tua. One of the greatest long ball passers in college football history has a 36-yard long completion in his career. But either way, I'm just kind of over the arm strength argument. It's an NFL-level arm, and it's increased by all the other strengths in his game with placement, anticipation, all that fun stuff. Just go watch this game again. How many perimeter completions are there in this game? I'll tell you. There's a handful. I just watched it. Pressure, off balance, all of it. And the DBs are driving on those. And not one of them in his career, not one of the interceptions he's thrown, has been an out route where the defensive back drove and caught a ball that hung up there. He also locates on the outside shoulder every damn time, too. So to reiterate, I think there are certain throws he doesn't make. And there was one instance in the game where I'd like to have seen him drive the throw to Waddle. But to me, it's a mountain of a molehill thing. It's a talking point, but nowhere as big of a deal as I see it on social. That's my take. That's my time. 
you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Winkle NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. Sean Smith is up today. You do not want to miss that one. It's a great episode. Check out the YouTube channel for all of our media availabilities and Dolphins today. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy is coming home.